chapter 1, I'll be reading two different sections here, Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 20, and then we'll jump to verses 26 through 38. Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 20, and then verses 26 through 38. This is God's word. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, According to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Let's jump to verse 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And, and the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. 
and the angel departed from her. Church, this is the word of the Lord. Would you bow with me in prayer? God, would you guide our time this morning that we can see and savor Jesus Christ? You who came to this world and laid your glory by. You who came to this world born to give us a second birth. Born that man no more may die. And for these reasons, God, we come to exalt you and praise you. May our hearts prepare him room, and may we be filled with your hope and joy today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we're in this series of looking at the way the characters in Jesus' birth story responded to him when he came into the world and he interrupted everyone's lives. Now, nobody likes to be interrupted, especially if it's a bad interruption. I don't know why, but I thought about the interruption of a fire drill, right? Whether you're in school now or you can remember from your distant past. Let's say you're a student right? and you're dreading a test. Sorry if you have a test, kids, like coming up this week. Then a fire drill is a very good welcome and a good interruption for you. Thank you, Jesus. I can postpone this till later. Let's play outside. But if you're a teacher, and I know this because my wife's a teacher, she told me this, if you're trying to administer a test and not deal with the postponement and deal with potential cheating, then that fire drill is a bad interruption. So when Jesus came to this earth, we saw that many people saw him as a bad interruption. Many saw him as a good interruption. But there were some who were very honest and weren't quite sure what to make of it. They weren't quite sure what to think. And that's what this sermon will examine and look at today. So we'll look at Zechariah, as we read in this uh, chap- Luke chapter 1, and we'll look at Mary, the struggles they had when their lives were interrupted by Jesus, and what we can learn from their very different responses. Okay? So we'll look at just two simple parts here, very simple. Number one, Zechariah's doubt. And number two, we'll look at Mary's faith. So Zechariah's doubt. Luke tells us that Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth were both very righteous people. Right? They obeyed and feared God, but they had gotten very old, and they were never able to have children. But they both served God so faithfully. In fact, Zechariah was a priest who gave his life to serve God in the temple. Well, on that day... Zechariah's division, which is just another word for a small group of priests because there were so many, they had to be split up. It was their turn to be on duty at the temple. And out of that group, Zechariah was a lucky one. Right? He, was, he was able to go inside the temple that day and burn the incense while the rest of the people were outside the temple to pray. He was the intercessor. He prayed on the people's behalf. What a big privilege. What a great day it was for him. But little did he know what was about to happen. He was going to experience so much more. Look at verses 11 and 12. There he was, Zechariah, being faithful, burning the incense, making intercession. And out of nowhere, this angel, the angel of God appears to him and scares the daylights out of him. Whoa, what is this? And we uh, see in verse 12 that he was troubled. Now remember that word, troubled. And fear fell upon him. 
Now, Zechariah knew, he studied the Bible, he studied the, uh, the Old Testament thoroughly and knew that God was very capable of making appearances like this, but when it actually happens, it's like, what's going on here? He couldn't help but be scared out of his mind. You know, a few weeks ago, we heard about the prophet Isaiah and how when he was in the temple, he saw God's holiness and he was overcome as well with this fear, woe is me, I am unclean, I'm unholy in the presence of a holy God. But the angel saw him in his fear, and he goes to him and says, Zechariah, don't be afraid. I have good news for you. Your prayer has been heard. You and your wife, Elizabeth, you're going to have a son. His name shall be John. Now imagine you were Zechariah in his shoes and you heard this. Wouldn't you be excited? I, I think I would be hearing news like this. Yes, it would seem a little bit unbelievable based on what they've been through, but me personally, as I'm there, I would want it to be true so badly. You know, when you hear something, it's like, oh, I wish that would happen. I would at least want to hear more, and there would be this joy and excitement. But as we see this, that's not how Zechariah responded at all. Verse 18, he says to the angel, how shall I know this? I'm old. I'm an old man. My wife is advanced in years. You know, Jesus, one day when he was uh, teaching, he said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And we can truly know what's on someone's heart by what they say. And so here we can see what's on Zechariah's heart and why he responded the way he did when God showed up to speak to him. His heart was filled with doubt. He had completely given up hope on having his prayer answered. So we notice a couple of things in what Zechariah said. He said, first he says, how can I know this? What's he doing there? He's saying, prove it. Give me proof that what you're saying is true. You know, for him, that doubt put him in a place where God's words were not enough. He needed more proof than that. This reminds me of Thomas, the disciple, after Jesus had resurrected. Everyone else, all they needed to hear was, he is risen, and they all believed and were excited. But Thomas, he was sitting there saying, oh, I need to see the scars. I need to put my hand in his side. Otherwise, I will never believe. And we've come to know him as doubting Thomas. God's words weren't, God's words weren't enough. He needed more. Secondly, he gives his reasons. Right? He says, these are the reasons why this can't be true. This is why I doubt. Look at me. Like, I'm old. So is my wife. Our backs are hurting. This just can't happen. So let me pause and say this. As Luke is writing this chapter, he had just called Zechariah blameless and righteous, which is a very, very big compliment. They were obedient to God, faithful, serving, but here he is. He's struggling. He's so unsure of himself, so real about his doubts, finding it hard to believe God and what he's saying. Does that sound familiar? Showing us that if this is us, if we're struggling like this, whether it's to believe in God in general, believing in his promises for us, believing that he is who he says he is, that he'll do what he says he will do, that God has included people like us in his story. People like Zechariah, people like Thomas, we're just like them. And he says, 
I'll pursue you. I'll engage you. But as we'll see, he does that in his love. He cares for us. But in his love, he doesn't let us stay as we are. Okay? He draws us closer to him. He transforms us. And so let's try to understand Zechariah a little bit better here. Why, why is he struggling this way? Why did he respond to Jesus' interruption the way he did? Well, if we dig a little bit deeper, we can maybe understand why. You know, they were struggling. It was so difficult for them being at an old age, not being able to bear children long before doctors could help them out with this. You just, in that situation, you just had to accept your fate and just hope for a miracle, just like what they saw in the Old Testament. And for Zechariah, they had passed the point of no return a long time ago. You know how it feels when you reach that point, right? It's hard to believe anything good, and doubt can become your natural response to anything. Even if someone tries to encourage you with good news, it's like, that doesn't help me. I am so hopeless. Now, this can apply in any other situation, right? It doesn't have to be this extreme. If you're a sports fan, you know how this feels, right? Uh, I know the Philly teams have been winning a lot lately. By the way, big game tonight, showdown versus Dallas. Try to focus for now. But think back to darker times, you know, when winning was rare. It's like, we're never going to win. It's hard to have hope. Even when good things happen, the natural response is, no way. But what about other situations in your life? Hmm? What about school for some of you students? You know, maybe it's been a rough stretch. Maybe you took a class that was much harder than you expected it to be, and things aren't going your way, right? And you've put in the hard work. It's like, oh, I can't get this right. It can wear out your whole and change and really color the way you think about how you will perform. What about a lot of other, others of us in the area of family, you know, marriage, parenting? Maybe this has been an ongoing difficult season that no matter what we try to do to be a good spouse, no matter what we try to do to be a good, loving, godly parent, there's always something, right? Something always goes wrong. There's always stress. There's always something to take care of, something I forgot, something I need to do to improve. And you'll wonder in those moments where things are just falling apart, am I ever going to get better? And I feel like it's so fitting that so much of what we hear about the hope of Advent season, that it goes out to people like us, those with weary hearts, weary souls. And if you find yourself there, I want to encourage you, take heart, because that's exactly where Zechariah was. He was at the bottom. He severely lacked the strength to believe. But as we read on, the encouraging thing here is that that was not the end of his story. It was only the beginning. A couple more hiccups to note here. The angel didn't like this request for more proof from Zechariah. So he says, hey, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I was sent to bring you this good news. And behold, because you didn't believe me, you're not going to talk at all. You will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. When I first read this, I'm like, man, sounds a little harsh, you know. But as I read this more and more, I realized that God is all wise God is merciful, and he's actually showing Zechariah. He's giving him room here to ponder, 
reflect, process this amazing miracle that just happened, that he heard about. To have to reckon with these doubts that may have hardened his heart towards God all these years. In light of this wonderful mercy that God had shown him and Elizabeth, this was exactly what he needed. Because as we just read, the angel said this, you will be unable to speak, and he could have stopped there. But he says, no, you'll be unable to speak until the day these things take place, meaning he was going to do it. Zechariah's doubt could not thwart or interrupt or change the way God was going to work in his life. We'll come back to all this and tie it together a little bit, a little bit later. But let me ask you, maybe you needed to hear these words because maybe this is where you're at. We're in Advent season. We're talking about how it's so important to examine the way we respond to Jesus when he enters our lives, our daily rhythms, the things we pursue, the things we're focused on. He comes and he wants to be our Lord. He wants to be our master. He wants to be our savior. And we know we want to get that right. Maybe some of you, you've heard that. And it's like, yeah, I need to get that right. I need to fix some things this season. I mean, you're trying to make changes. You're trying to do different things. We try the whole Maybe just, let me just try getting into the Christmas spirit, you know? I listen to a little bit more Christmas songs around the clock. Turn on that B101, never ending. Maybe let's, you know, light a Christmas tree with some lights, which is beautiful, by the way. I'm, I love seeing that this time of year. Let's watch some heartwarming movies. You know, my wife and I watched Home Alone the other night. I just can't stop laughing when I watch that. Let's drink some holiday drinks. Gingerbread latte, one of my favorites. You know? But let's be honest. Those things, they're just temporary fixes. They'll put you maybe in a good mood for a season, but, man, your heart, it's still there. And if you were to share honestly, maybe it's just a whole lot of doubt. Is God really, really hearing my prayer? Is this next year and season of my life going to be any different? Is this the way I'm always going to respond? My dear friends, I encourage you, why don't we focus our hearts on God's amazing grace? He's so willing to meet us where we are, and he'll help us to overcome them. And so here's a good transition now to our second heading, where we'll now look at Mary's faith and her response to Jesus' arrival and his interruption in her life. Verses 26 through 38. It's interesting to see here that Mary's response of faith was intentionally placed side by side with Zechariah. As commentators note, this was in order to hold her up as a model of what responsive Christian faith looks like, what we should be striving for in our own response to Christ. So these two scenes are different. Zechariah was in a temple, but Mary most likely in her humble home in Nazareth. The same angel shows up, Gabriel, right, as the one from the temple also appears in Mary's home. And in those first few moments, I ask you guys to note, Mary is also troubled the way Zechariah was troubled. But here's the difference that we observe, is that after Zechariah was troubled, fear fell upon him, and he was gripped by that. But for Mary, when she was troubled, we read that she immediately tried to discern what kind of greeting this is. There was clearly something different in her heart that though her life was interrupted in the same way, there was a longing 
for the truth, a desire to do things God's way. And she wasn't scared of what that might require of her. And so real quick here, a few key points we can learn, right, practical things we can learn from this encounter here. When the Lord interrupts your life, let's do that. Take the time to think and discern what is happening. You know, that's because our faith journey, you know, the entire process of us growing, becoming stronger in our faith, a lot of times it doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. It's a process. Yes, it could happen instantly and dramatically. I know several times in Scripture it does. But for so many others, I know even for myself, I grew up in a pastor's home where as a kid, if I wasn't on the playground, I was at church playing hide-and-seek in the pews. And my faith journey was a long process of learning to personally experience everything I was taught in Sunday school. That's why Sunday school is so important. That's why you need to learn well the Bible, all the teachings, because it's so important for the way you're going to live that out later in your life. For Mary, too, this didn't all happen instantly for her. And even at the end of verse 38, in that very admirable response, even later, when she sees Jesus being crucified, her faith is still being developed. She still takes the time to ponder, to think, to treasure these things up in her heart. So we would do well to do the same. Secondly, when the Lord Jesus interrupts your life, take the time to wonder, to wonder, to marvel at, to be in awe of what's happening. So after the angel lays everything out, she responds back by saying, how, how will this be? How will this be? It's a tone of astonishment, meaning she just couldn't help but to find everything so incredible, which shows that she didn't just blindly accept it without giving it some thought, letting it sink in, responding to that in her emotions. She marvels in amazement at what's going on, and that propels her to want more, to think about it further and lead her closer and closer to the truth of what is happening, who her child is, and what he will ultimately accomplish. Okay? I know right now my, my son, he loves looking at lights, Christmas trees, whether it's Costco or the grocery store. So I was like, ooh, light, green, red, red, red. And just that marvel of just seeing these wonderful sights, it just, he wants more. And we're like, okay, let's see more, let's see more. And I think we can learn from that example. I wonder for some of us who've been Christian for a very long time, is it possible that perhaps we've lost that sense of wonder at all the miraculous things that God has accomplished for us. How do you feel when you get to share your testimony, how you came to the Lord? Do you remember that it's a miracle of grace, that once you were dead, now you're alive. Once you were blind, but now you see. Is there joy and praise stirred up in your heart? And if not, let's bring that to the Lord and let him recapture us with the wonders of his love like we heard. And thirdly, when the Lord Jesus interrupts your life, in faith, which is what we're being challenged by here. Accept what he's doing, even if you don't understand. We can learn this from what Mary said in verse 38. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed. Now, if you read that carefully, she calls herself a servant, expressing that she's in full submission to God and his word, saying, hey, I don't understand this. It doesn't make complete sense, but let God do what he wills in my life. 
I will simply accept and follow in faith, which shows that she didn't need to figure it all out before having faith, and neither do we. I think for a lot of us, I think that's just our, the way we're wired. We need everything to click rationally, emotionally, personally. We need it to be plainly obvious before we think we can take a step forward in faith and trust God with anything. And if it doesn't, well, if we don't sense the clarity, maybe it's not God's will. We may not move forward in our faith. And maybe all we're left with is just frustration and discouragement. Well, the lesson for us here today is that though it can be natural and right at times to think things through, there will also be very important times when the only thing we can do is trust, submit, despite the fears. And it's only later that we may look back and know for certainty. For you kids and teens in this room, this might be a big wake-up call for us. You You probably hear a lot at church read a lot from the Bible you find hard to understand or accept, and that's okay. That's okay. There's a lot I'm still learning and growing in and understanding. But maybe what God wants for you and for me is not to figure out everything before you commit yourself to Jesus, to his church, but to take a step of faith because that's what faith is. Just really believe that it's true even if it's like, okay, I can't make sense of this or that, but because God says so. I love Hebrews 11, the way faith is defined for us. Now, faith, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. A wonderful chapter is if you read down the list of saints who are commended for their faith, so many of them lack that tangible evidence that what God was saying was true, yet They followed. Abraham did not know where he was going. Noah didn't see a cloud in the sky, yet they fully obeyed in faith. And so could we do that? Invite him to be our Lord and Savior this season. If that's true for any of the rest of us in this room, those of us who have been journeying for quite a while in the faith, finding it hard to really trust God in everything, to at least be able to pray this prayer, Lord, in this moment, it's hard for me to believe if, that you'll be faithful, that all this is true. But I want to know. I want to know you. I want to be in the center of your will. So God, in faith, I'm taking this step. Help my unbelief. If the Lord is confronting you in this way today, we pray, would you respond in faith? In closing here, Let's take a quick look at the outcome of today's passage in Luke 1. What's the outcome? God's faithful. So unbelievably faithful. Beyond what we can ask or even imagine. He was this to both Zechariah and Mary. Look ahead with me. Verses 57 and 58. We're allowed to give Bible spoilers. (laughs) We're allowed in sermons. It's an ancient text. Verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. It happened. The Lord has shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. All this came to pass to show that his timing was all wise and perfect. You know, when Zechariah was told he would be silent for all that period of time, he probably thought, man, this is rock bottom. I've reached rock bottom. But I love this quote. 
Some, the pastor once said, sometimes God lets you hit rock bottom so that you can discover that he is the rock at the bottom. That he holds your feet steady in the midst of storm, chaos, bad circumstances, challenges, that his words are always true. He was that rock for doubting Zechariah. And though he had to endure that period of silence, not being able to speak, he lifted him up again because he's faithful, he's powerful, and he fulfills every last promise he makes. Shortly after that, Zechariah finally was able to speak again. And as soon as his mouth was loosed and open, what do we hear? Out came this spirit-filled prophecy called the Benedictus, where he gives glory to God for coming to redeem his people. He was changed. He's a new creation, giving glory to God. And out of all that, John the Baptist was born, the forerunner to our Savior Jesus. What a testimony. What a great God. In the same chapter, we see that all this unfolded for Mary as well. Okay. Um, she comes into Elizabeth's house, uh, hears her voice, says, Blessed are you, blessed is the fruit of your womb. And we see that the Savior was going to be born through her very shortly after. And it's in this Advent season where we reflect on the meaning of Christmas. We see a merciful God reaching down, encountering ordinary, imperfect folks who struggle with their faith like you, like me, and to save them and call them for his perfect plan. Not for a moment were either Zechariah and Mary following a deception. They were granted a precious blessing from God above, and they were led to the truth of Jesus. So if you're sitting here, we're just dealing with a lot of struggles, wondering where you are in your faith journey, where you are with God. Do you trust him? Why do I keep doubting? Why can't I just fully give myself to him? Just know this today in the way God worked in this chapter. Know that you are treasured and loved by a God who is mighty, who is loving, merciful, and powerfully in control of all things. And as we receive communion, let's remember Jesus, the center of this story. He who also submitted to the Father's will. You know, this very child born to Mary in a manger would one day struggle. He would find himself in a garden right before he would be arrested and taken to his death sentence. He was on his knees struggling in prayer. Father, is there any other way? Is there any other road? Please take this cup, the cup of your wrath from me. Yet, not my will but yours be done. You know, this was a disruption and interruption like no other, yet we see Jesus trusting, accepting, and fully going to the cross. In so doing, bringing salvation to all who would believe, proving beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is the true, long-expected Messiah, and he is returning one day. And so that's where this message points us. One look at the cross should put us in that state of wonder. Is that lacking in your heart? Is that wonder of the miracle of God's grace, his transforming work in your life, you feel like your heart's empty and missing that? Look at the cross. Look at where his work was finished. And let's do that together.